0: Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, I met up with Frederica Eck, who last year finished her 1000 day bike ride around the world. She's a real inspiration, and on her journey, she also raised over 100,000 euros for children and women in need. We talked about finding a meaningful life, being in the moment, and how it is to fit everything you own on your bike. Can you tell us a bit about who you are
1: and where you're from? Uh, I usually prefer to describe myself the same way I think as my dad has done ever since I was a child. I'm just a, he usually says, I'm Frederica from Sweden, Uh, an ordinary girl with sometimes extraordinary ideas. I like that one Uh, because really I'm I'm just, (laughs) I'm just a girl from the north of Sweden and the last few years I've spent most of my time on bikes, in, or one bike specifically, uh, in
0: every imaginable corner of the world. That's great. So in uh, 2015, you set yourself up for an adventure of a lifetime, biking around the world in a thousand days. How did you come up with that idea?
1: Uh, I don't know, really. I think ever since forever, I've had a lot of big, crazy ideas and rarely or ever has anything really come out of them. Uh, I've been a big dreamer ever since I was a child and, and this idea of riding my bike around the world, uh, that one never left my head. It just popped up in there one day. I don't know how really.
0: And I'm just very, very happy that it didn't leave. Great. So you started in Sundsvall in Sweden, and you went around the whole world. Where um, can you tell us a bit about the journey and how how the first few days were?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I was 23 years old when I when I left my hometown. Uh, it's called Sundsvall. It's just a random town in a random place in in the middle of Sweden, and. Um, I think what I left for or what I dreamt of while actually just setting off on this brand new bike, I barely like taught myself how to shift. I didn't know how to pitch my tent and, um, really had no, I no clue what I was getting myself into. Uh, but. I was just looking for that one big adventure, I think, and having, I'm not the only one, I think, who has that dream of at least for one time, once in my life to really, really push myself and challenge myself to see, to see where my limits are. And it started off being a lot about the the physical challenge, I think, uh, whether i could actually like pack my pack everything i needed on the into some bags and put them on the the racks of a bike and and actually like get somewhere and then as as time went along it it all sort of changed into this um or in in addition to everything else it became a lot of of about the inner journey i think and a lot about just gaining more and more perspective of of what's out there and who is out there and what reality means to to different people depending on where you were, just lucky or unlucky enough to be born
0: mm. so was there any time during your trip that you were like no i'm just gonna stop i'm not gonna continue this journey <laughs> uh of course millions of moments like that but <laughs> i think
1: usually that thought ended at um, oh i'm just going to i'm just going to stop not i never ever considered stopping the journey as, for me, it's like I I give up all the time. I give up every single day when I'm on the road, but just for a while. I mean, I sit yeah. down in the ditch and I'm I'm grumpy for a while, and then and then you can just have to stop doing that and and continue. Just get on with it. And I think just the whole idea for me when I because I already had that idea of of being away for years and years when I left home, and what I wanted with that was not. It wasn't about reaching that thousand day finish line. The whole idea was I was young and I, I just wanted to define like some eternal bike ride. And for me, that was around the world because I knew that was impossible. And a thousand days, that was my definition of, of forever at the time. And um, so what I wanted to do with that was just choosing the life on the road. And it wasn't about getting somewhere or reaching a finish line. It was about having that lifestyle for whatever amount of time and without ever being able to see a finish line because that's not what it was about. Uh, so that whole idea of of giving up is... Um, I think it's, it's twisting that cause I, I've been giving up the, just what I was doing at the moment, but I wasn't giving up my whole life cause that was what it was. This is, this was not a project like being part of, of a bigger picture. That was my life, but the whole thing was, it was really me and it was all of me. Um, and I think few of us ever have the idea of actually like shutting down the whole thing completely. And I, I know at least I don't. So, so it, I've been given up millions of times probably but never the whole thing and I think that yeah. that mindset has made it really easy to to always just like oh well, will take a break then if you need to but then surely enough I'll I'll keep going when I when I have the energy it's great
0: yeah it's kind of I think you you're probably the only one that could say that you biked around the world in a thousand days right
1: I don't know, but it's, it's a lie also, because I rode around the world in 1,042 days. <laughs> it was actually the probably the publishing company <laughs> of the book I just released. I was, they were like, no, no, Frederica, this is not a good book title. You have to just scratch the last, what is it, month and a half of the winter crossing coming back of, was through Northern Europe and Sweden. So it's not really that. It sounds nice, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, it sounds nice. Um so you are a woman and you've been traveling a lot on your own. And I know probably people that listen to this are like, oh, my God, how can you do this as a woman and traveling in, um, on your own? And what would you say to those women who might not feel that uh, they're I think, safe? Or,
1: actually, you know? I, I like to give the answer to that question both equally, I think, to men and women, because we all have this common perception of, of a trip like this or a journey like that, this or life in general, um, being more of a risk or danger, dangerous for us. And I think mm. there is definitely, of course, obviously a lot of truth to that and that you can discuss for ages, but we've already done that, I think. And, and what I like to put my finger on usually which is so sad that we forget or miss out on and is that my experience has been that being a solo woman on the road uh, has been my by far no doubt this like my um strongest card being out there and Obviously, of course, like for being out on the road for for three years like this, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Uh, Even just going to between your home and your office, you're going to be bound to cross paths with some assholes along the way. Uh, But I mean, 99 percent of all people everywhere are great. And what I think has been my advantage is that none of them, uh, women, grandmothers, daughters, no one is scared of me. And had I gone as a guy, I don't know, because I I never did, so I can't really really compare it better than anyone else. But my guess would be that that um the all those meetings I've had, uh, being welcomed into open arms from from strangers all over the world in all sizes, ages, genders, uh, has been without limits uh, for me, just because no one really is considering me as a threat i'm just a, a lonely girl showing up in the middle of nowhere and if anything people feel the need to sort of take care of me a little bit extra because i'm a girl and even if not at least they're not scared of me and they're not backing away and they're not closing their doors and so i think what if anything it, it that fact being a girl on the road if anything has just opened Opened a lot of doors and opened a lot of opportunities and and opened up a lot of hearts uh, along the way, and then it's up to me instead to choose what doors or what years or tents I wanna like put my foot into, and and I really prefer to have it that way.
0: Yeah, I, th- I found that quite interesting because I did we still not didn't bike around the world, but when I was 18, I went trailing on my own in Eastern Europe, and everyone was like, oh my God, you can't go on your own and you're a woman and. You know, you need to be, look after yourself. But everyone was so open and, you know, invited me to their home or like I had a whole family walking me to my hostel. And yeah, just it feels like this, this fear that shouldn't really be there, you know? Yeah, definitely. And
1: and I think it's, it's really weird, though, when we actually get out there, because the, the sad part about it is that we're, we all have this agreement, I think, in at least in, in our societies, that uh, us girls, we shouldn't go out on our own. Because we're, we're always threatened, no matter where we are, and that's, that's used as, as an excuse or explanation as to why we should just stay home. Why someone like me should never, ever attempt a bike ride like this around the world or anywhere else for that matter. and So it's, it's sad because it, it keeps us on the wrong side of the thresholds it stops us from even trying but the people or the ones of us who were and we're more and more now because someone like people like me people like you and and we're a lot of a lot of girls now showing that sure we can do it and these truths about the stuff being impossible for girls and women there were more and more people questioning them and showing that how false they are and so and then the, this, the great part is when we do that and when we get out, there is this really weird twist on sexism, I think, <laughs> just because of that thing that people, no matter where we are, whoever we meet, they feel like they want to take extra care of us uh, just because someone else, everyone's afraid of their neighbor. Uh, so it's not it's never us or the the us we have for the night that's the threat but like always the next village or the next region or country or even continent and so i think we have this like really unique place in the world where where if and when we just dare to get out there we're bound to meet some some quite amazing encounters along the way
0: definitely um can you tell us a bit about um, some of the women that you met on your trip some of the women I met yeah that made a big impact on you uh,
1: well there is one meeting I think specifically that will always be <laughs> it, it's it's just like a punch in the stomach still even though it's now two years ago it happened and it wasn't really by with a woman, but more of with a girl or a baby, actually. Uh, On my way home after almost three years on the road, uh, I was coming home through West Africa and crossing the country of uh, Guinea Conakry. It's one of the poorest and least developed countries in the world. And one late evening, just like many others, I, I come into this village and You can never really explain how how these meetings start, but I made friends with a girl uh, in my own age. Her name is Fatou. And we met in this like really rainy late night. It was rainy season. So I I was, everything's just so wet since days and weeks. And and I met Fatou. She was alone in her house this night, uh, spoke seven languages that I had no clue any words in, and then also she, of course, had French, uh, so we could speak a little bit. And she had her two-day-old uh, baby in her arms when we met, and the baby oh that was still was only called Bebe. And you know how things just evolve these evenings. It's so it's magical because you don't really know why or how things happen but like the evening just turned into l- late late night, and we were making like this big bonfire outside of our house uh, having having corn and finally i ended up in the one bed in the house uh, the family was away it was only fatu with her with her baby at home and that's the whole thing again had I been a guy probably I wouldn't spend that night in that same bed as this two-day-old baby girl uh, and her mother yeah but I got to do that and it was just so amazing and once again as so many times the last few years I've had this these really strong moments where where life is just as beautiful and brutal as it gets at the same time because well i'm I'm just laying skin to skin with this tiny baby and uh, she had this like very thin malaria net covering her face and body but you can still feel like the warmth from this tiny arm and obviously i couldn't sleep and instead, I just spent the night like scrolling my phone. And usually, I, I always get local SIM cards wherever I am. And so I was just scrolling and reading about some reports from the United Nations. Uh, just like to get gives get some more insights of the country where I'm where I was and and. Like what, what life was here and maybe also what life that girl I just had next to me was just born into. And it's so obvious mm-hmm. how, how we're, we're like centimeters from each other, sharing the same bed, uh, sharing the same breath, but still we're, we're like universes apart laying there. I come from the most privileged bubble of, of the entire world and I'm invited. I'm the guest. I'm the one who's taking care here. Uh, where people literally have have nothing to give and um, so we spend the night wake up have even more corn the family comes home and it's always like the the most difficult thing I know on the road is is that morning after where you've had this amazing like true connection with people and you come so close so fast and I'm, I'm I have so much gratitude and just as I'm mounting my bike about ready to leave and we also like we took a photo with the family and every, everything was good and, and Fatou with her now three-day-old baby in her arms just looks down at Bebe and, and me and down again and on the family and she just like barbs out without thinking twice I think she just said well hmm uh, Bebe? Frederica, so she gave her no. her baby the name Frederica. <laughs> uh, this morning, you know, it's just you know, it's it's so weird because it's really nothing in itself, but then it's also the biggest thing that could ever happen. And yeah, and we still keep in touch. We still write on Facebook. My French is horrible, but I use like I try to go with Google Translate, and we can. like just this morning I received photos of of Frederica. Now she's she's two years old, and she has the most amazing haircut. And, and it's, it's just, it's one girl out of many, just another like ordinary girl, like just like me and like yeah. all of us. Uh, and then it's so like painful that morning because I get to kiss her in the forehead and just like get her back to her mom uh, ready to leave. And and all those facts that I'd been reading throughout the night from just on my phone and um, just like screaming in my head because... I know for a fact, thanks to the statistics from the UN, that this girl or this Frederica, just because she happened to be born in in a different place than than I was, she has a 97% risk um, of suffering female uh, genital mutilation before she's 12. Mm. She's... Most likely never, ever going to learn or go to school, learn how to read and uh, make decisions on, on her own body or future. And it's just, it's so sad that it's, it's that punch in the stomach knowing that is harder <laughs> just cause she got my name. It doesn't get, yeah. make her any difference from, from any other girl or the millions of people being born into places or situations like this. Uh, but then it just becomes so obvious and, and What has been, I think, the most important part for me was that fundraiser uh, that was running throughout the whole journey, uh, collecting funds distance-based for the organization ActionAid, working globally just with that simple and and impossible uh, mission of securing basic human rights for women and girls across the world. Just like... Frigica and all those other millions of people around the world that that don't have the opportunity uh, they oh they should have yeah
0: so how much so you said that you you raised money for Action Aid that do focus on women's rights right Um, yeah why did you pick that organization how much money did you raise in the end
1: Uh, so far. I mean the the fundraiser was distance based until I got home. I ran out of kilometers, but the I've been doing like everything I can to to keep this fundraiser moving forward, because I mean, the whole thing was a nice setup for people to get engaged. But then actually, like spending those years on the road, I learned or finally, I think understood more and more for each passing day or month or week or whatever, what this fundraiser is actually doing or uh, what it actually is to to not have your human rights covered. Uh, So I'm invited a lot now in being home in Sweden, I get to do a lot of public speaking and I got to write this book, there is a movie and everything is always tied together. Uh, with trying to keep to keep collecting funds for this uh, for this cause, so I'm really I'm there. I mean, there are so many numbers from this trip. There's the thousand whatever days, there are the fifty thousand kilometers, forty five countries, and all of those things. But that one number that I'm I'm really really deeply proud about is that the fundraiser has collected. Uh, well over a million Swedish kronor, which is, I guess, a hundred thousand euros. That's um, amazing. Yeah, well, and it's just a bike ride, and I'm just, I'm just any girl from the woods of Sweden, and then, then that can turn into something massive for so many people and so many generations ahead and it's uh, it's really humbling to to see how that thing or like stupid stunt i just wanted to do for myself and and just like being out playing on the roads <laughs> uh, how that can really really have uh, a true impact uh, so that's great
0: Did you have any trouble with your bike while you were on the trip? Most of it. Must have yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> definitely. Um, I probably... Swapped every moving part of the bike, <laughs> at least at one point. And I mean, hi, m- my his name is Mister Bike, by the way. <laughs> b- Starting off as just this like a piece of iron, and then he just slowly became uh, my best friend on the road. Uh, sturdy, sturdy guy, and well, is full uh, it's a surly long haul trucker uh full iron and um i'm very happy though because i never i've actually had this any major breakdowns like with the wrong timing so i've been a bit lucky like that and then uh, it's always a, a lot of planning how to make those big overhauls uh, with the right timing so for example before i left for africa i was i left from quito in ecuador and for example peru they it, there is a lot of like bicycle culture and and you can really find in in the capital lima in, in peru you can find great bike shops and you can make like pretty much anything any work on your bike so both in lima and in quito i i made uh, some big Yeah, big um uh, of like overhauls on the bike just to be ready for for the next set so so there's a bit of planning also like in Istanbul in Turkey I made I made some things on a bike to get it ready for for the Middle East and Central Asia where where it's going to be more difficult in case you you need to to do some stuff
0: how much food did you carry on your trip or I guess it depends on different depending on the distance
1: I quite like those times when you really have to pack a lot of lot of stuff uh just get myself as remote as i can Uh, there's always a charm to it i think when when you can just head off in the middle of nowhere and it's that's the whole thing with a bike you can get so close and you can be so free you're really independent I'm, I'm even like producing my own electricity on the bike uh, <laughs> from my front hub dynamo really. uh, i think the the most the biggest amount of food i've carried was probably in the andes uh, a few times i've st- stocked up for say 18 days uh, worth of food which is probably equivalent to like one kilo for each day which means that you have like 15 18 20 extra kilos of food from time to time which which is quite heavy (laughs) and i know i made a stretch in the australian outback with it's a thousand two hundred kilometers between uh from town to town where you can't find any food along the way Uh, there are a few places where you can stock up on water (laughs) Uh, but the bike was loaded with 95 kilos of weight when I left Halls uh, Creek with 30 liters of water and just really a lot of couscous. Uh, so that was heavy.
0: That must have been really heavy. <laughs> yeah. Taking you quite a while to, to push through.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, and that's the whole thing because you, you have to suck up with so much stuff. You become even slower, yeah. which means the distances yeah. grow and, and you have to get like even more stuff and then it's just like a bad circle in the whole way.
0: yeah <laughs> so did you run into any trouble on your trip uh, of course i mean i think if
1: anyone no matter what you did the last three years we've all run into trouble right Um, And it's just that when you choose to live your life on the bike, uh, those pieces of trouble, they usually look different from what you're used to, at least from what I'm used to. Uh, So everything from like weird stuff happening with the bike to bureaucracy that gets like turns your hair gray in... in, um, I think bureaucracy is really it's been a headache that just never stops and i i've said a few times i think that the easiest the easiest part with riding your bike around the world is riding your bike and there's so much stuff going on uh, around it and i was really lucky at one point i got hit by a car in australia and i think that's an important part to to remember that usually when you think of running into trouble it would be running into what are our sort of stereotypical fears which would be uh, men for example we, we've already discussed that or animals or something like this those like ingrained fears that we have <laughs> uh, but then you can also talk about risk mm. and to be fair the big risk that i've been taking has been being in a lot of traffic often and so i was hit by a car in australia and so if you you think about crossing the outback it's not snakes it's not spiders it's not crocodiles that you should be scared of or should have a the most respect for it's cars right and yeah. i got a good reminder uh, one morning and but i was really really lucky so i didn't have even have to go to the, to the hospital and i could keep rising the same day uh, but it was a good reminder of of what is
0: fears what is fear and what is risk mm, yeah yeah that's really interesting because we tend to see them the same
1: yeah sure and uh, it's i mean having these like fear is great it's our like inbuilt like just built in uh, alarm system i guess it's just that like those um <laughs> like uh, uh, biological fears that we have they don't really help us in modern day society i would guess so usually like a weird sound in the in the tent at night is getting my heart racing a lot more than having a truck coming at me in 100 kilometers per hour and that does not like that doesn't help me uh, so it's i think it's important to learn how to rat- like <laughs> rationalize the fear a bit more mm. uh, it's not easy but i think though these years on the road has really been a good school uh with learning slowly how to do that
0: mm. so what i've been some of the hardest moments on the trip
1: um well the, i have one that i think uh, i still haven't really gotten over it and that was <laughs> it's probably not the answer you're looking for but i missed out on my my brother's wedding uh because I was away oh, yeah, and that's the whole thing I mean I I set out on this journey for the challenge and I've had all of that like from thunderstorms to snowstorms to like meeting crazy people having difficulty with culture or uh, being lost or whatever like like every piece of piece of challenge that you can imagine, I've had it. and But that was the whole point, that was what I was looking for, mm. it was part of the dream I had. But then there's also the other side, that my, my life <laughs> was still playing out back home at the same time, and I always chose to keep doing my thing uh, before everything else. So my, my brother actually got married on the same day as I flew from South America to Africa. And I could have flown back to Sweden for that day and joined them, uh, but I chose not to. And it's the whole thing because it's, it's difficult because I I knew if I would have done it again, uh, I would make the same decision. But I have so much, that's the, the doubt I think or the struggle I've had is that I've I've gone for my dream uh, every single day for these years. And it's been like chomping everything else. and. Uh,
0: it's difficult. Yeah, totally. It's hard to hard to fit everything in, including you know your own dreams, and then still stay true to who you are and yeah what you want to achieve in life.
1: Yeah. Cause it's always like when when we're out doing this you see the you see the like we have yeah hail in the face sometimes but that's not the price you pay no the price you pay is is missing out on your your loved ones and being away from mm-hmm. everything else totally. uh, at least that's the, the feeling i have and yeah so that that's it
0: so how was it coming back to sweden after this three years on the road and how was it to adjust to the life, the, you know, not jumping on the bike every day and pitching the tent? Uh, I don't, I, I still sort
1: of don't know, really. I've been home for, for a year and a half, I think. It's a long time now. And still, still everything is new in a way. Uh, I was really happy because when I got back to Sweden... I still had a thousand kilometers to ride, right? Because I'm, I'm from the north. I came in from Denmark and it was January, uh, freezing cold. Uh, the last few days, the temperatures dropped down to like minus 22 degrees Celsius, oh my God. <laughs> which is cold on a bike. And it was funny. The morning I left back in 2015, uh, me and my mom, we drew this like paint or we painted this just thick uh, line in the middle of the street uh, outside my parents house where i grew up so we made the actual like start and finish line and i act- and i finally got home and that line was beneath 160 centimeters of snow <laughs> <laughs> so it's just uh, i mean it was coming home was cold and i think that was because it was really like hardcore expedition the last few weeks and it was january you have three hours of daylight each day and it was it's always cold and it was really a challenge all the way back to to the house really and just because you're you're so focused on on the task every not every day but every like minute because you don't have you don't have time to take your gloves off because you and you don't have you don't have any margin of error really so it's really focused all the way all the way to the actual finish line and which meant that i hadn't really had time or any space to think much about what was going to happen after it um so it's funny to think because the the change of my in my life was as big starting and finishing but starting i had spent already a year and a half like with every single moment building up to the to the actual start of the trip and then suddenly i was just home without having given like any thought to what it was going to be or what i was going to do so i was really struggling the first days weeks months i think uh, perhaps even year uh, to find my balance and sort of because mm-hmm. I wasn't coming home to anything either. Really, I I'd, I'd sold my apartment, I would quit my job. I didn't have any stuff. I was I was really like I had quit my my life at home to to start this new one. So I wasn't really coming home uh, to this. Just I couldn't pick pick up just that old life. Uh, I've had. I've been fortunate enough, or, or and also forced to to create a new one, uh, which has been interesting and i'm really happy because i've i've been home now for yeah i i just said a year and a half and all of this new life i'm building it's been all about bikes and traveling by bike and doing like keep doing my stuff and part of that has, of course, been being able to, or being invited to, to do a lot of speaking in a lot of different places. And the, the book has been a huge success here in Sweden. <laughs> and that's like, it's crazy, but it's cool. And it's with all these uh, photos I have from the road and, and the film and everything is ha- moving so fast. So I'm I'm just so fortunate to have all of this opportunity now. And, and I'm trying to make the most of it, but still like finding or keeping my truth and, and remembering Remembering what it's all about and and it's being outside being in nature and and just finding my way into into nature and into to people's lives so I just in a few in a couple of weeks I'm, I'm packing up again actually and leaving for for the north of, of Scandinavia for the summer just to spending a few months oh, wow. outside in my tent doing doing what I love doing most and yeah I think that's that's been the challenge here because because it's all now uh, like objective success, I guess, with a lot of gigs and a lot of work and a lot of attention and a lot of media. But I mean, that's not what it's about for me. Uh, The whole thing was just me wanting to ride my bike and that's still me. I mean, that's that's really who I am. Uh, so I think it's, it would be easy to just get swept away by all of this crazy stuff happening and, and sort of forget what's the, what it was all about and what it has to be all about for me to stay happy in it. Uh, so I'm really excited just to, to like f- throw myself into the deepest parts of, of the Finnish uh, Lapland and mm. North of Finland and Sweden and also, also North of Norway this summer. Amazing.
0: So where where do you think this passion for bikes comes from? Is it something that runs in the family or something that you picked up?
1: No, 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 really not. And I, I'm, to be honest, I still I would never say I have a passion for bikes. It's a it just I have a passion for traveling, and I have a passion for pushing limits, I guess, or uh, challenging limits in different ways and for me it was just it's just a coincidence i think that i just found the bike to be my tool for for that for traveling for moving for for finding amazing places and experiences and it's been a great way for me to to challenge limits and to get myself into places situations then and in front of people that i could never never have access to without it Um, so I guess that, that in itself slowly has sort of turned into uh, me enjoying the actual cycling in itself and the actual, like, well, I'm, I'm way more interested in in the machine like the bike the machine of the bike <laughs> now than I was while well living on the road but yeah. <laughs> it's sort of I, I've i come from a different from a different angle and and sort of fell in love with actual cycling as a consequence of it mm. and
0: what have been some of the biggest lessons that you learned on being on this journey um I think I'm not sure if it's a lesson,
1: but the, what I'm bringing with me, I think more than anything else from these years is that I have, I have so much more, uh, trust in people and in myself also. Um, and I think, um, it's like we said before, of course, of course I've had bad encounters somewhere sometimes but in general my trust in people or my uh, my um, my view of people no matter where you're from or uh, in what situation you're in is is so much uh, better bigger warmer uh, than it ever has before and, and the same thing I think applies to myself also that I used to well I chose to start this because I I had faith in in myself and my own capabilities and of course if I didn't I would never never have imagined or considered starting a trip like this but but I had my doubts and of course I thought I thought that everyone around me telling me how all of this was going to go just straight to hell I thought they were probably right but I didn't care I wanted to to just go as, as long as I could, anyway. I couldn't imagine a life where I didn't where I where I didn't try, and uh, now having sort of, I f- I feel like I've called the bluff in a way, uh, where you know, was it was it really that easy? I'm the first I'm the first like person from Sweden or a woman who's who's done this sort of trip, uh, but that's because I'm the only one who tried. Right, so mm. it's,
0: yeah, exactly. Like
1: everything is impossible until someone does it, and uh, it's never as obvious. I think, at least for myself, when 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 I've done this, like okay, it's always been like pushing my limits just a little bit more, and rarely have I thought about the end goal of riding my bike around the world. No, I'm just going to the next village, like. I know I know they're right. I'm just I'm just a naive girl. I probably they're probably right. I can't ride my bike around the world, but probably I can ride it to the next village. <laughs> and then I've always just kept doing that and be like me starting from Sundsvall, Sweden, they tried to convince me how I shouldn't do that because in the Middle East I would run into trouble. <laughs> and I n- could never really see the logic of that the middle east and iran for example they, that later turned out to be my favorite region in the whole world uh, that's a different story but it's it's crazy how we're so focused on the on the finish lines of of every aspect in life that we're, we're so like yeah focused on the finish line that in, if we're not guaranteed success to reach that we shouldn't even cross the starting one And for me, that's just such a, it's such a shame because we miss out on everything. And even if sometimes I can be annoyed that this actually worked out and I actually got came home after a thousand days, like, like I had planned because, because it wasn't about that. It really, really wasn't. And had I come home after 300 days with a broken foot? Okay. That'd be it. I got 300 days on the road then. (laughs) And, and it doesn't, it really doesn't matter and also when like starting they everyone kept telling me for for the first years year at least like this is impossible you're you this is never gonna happen and and uh, yeah dreaming of riding your bike around the world that's just stupid and what they didn't realize or what in my mind is stupid is not seeing that from day one i was riding my bike around the world right Because I I never said my dream was to have done it. (laughs) I dream of already have done that. I I dream of riding and just leaving home. Even if I'm still not even outside my own country or even hometown, I was doing it. So my dream came true day one, not day 1042. Yeah
0: it feels like a healthy perspective to look at it. It's, it's the journey that counts, not the, the finish line. And I think we tend to, especially in the Western world, we tend to focus on the finish line and then we give up because we don't think we're going to reach it. Instead of just trying, you see that as a win, you know?
1: Yeah, I think so too. And then in the end, like probably somewhere, somehow, you end up at the finish line anyways. And at least in, in my experience, it's just as good... Uh, even though it wasn't your focus to begin with,
0: so you released a book about this three-year life adventure that you went on. So tell me a bit about this book and how has the process been to make it?
1: Uh, well, it was uh, the book is called uh, "Around the World in a Thousand Days." We already said it's a lie. I was I was going for a thousand and forty-two. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's really it's the book of. Um, Trying sort of to to jot down what these years really became about, and it's the they're all the the biggest photos like the big photos and the small stories, uh, from the road, and it's it's a lot of a lot of encounters with people and encounters with with yourself uh, when you've spent too much time in a desert, and um, I, I think the whole the whole goal with the book has been to um to lower thresholds i guess i because it's it's really easy i came i came home and i got these awards like being the european Adventurer of the year the swedish Adventurer of the year the whatever and it it all like looks really massive it looks like something like tough or different or uh at least i think For myself, because I was I was young and I was dreaming and I was looking at all these people doing amazing things and thinking that they were something else and they were stronger or braver or uh, whatever. And and I think it's really I really want to stress that I'm I'm not I'm really just any girl who was brave or dumb enough to to go for an idea and to see what that dream could become if I went for it and so it's a whole thing of of not being extra uh it's just one girl who decides to leave home and and, and we'll see what she could find and i it's it's a lot of a lot of small stories just trying to explain that whole thing with people being people everywhere and there are a lot of fears growing it, not not least in in europe uh and it's a lot of segregation, and it's a lot of uh, build up of of fears for our neighbors. And I think this is just trying to be a voice in a different direction. Where, where, and just a small reminder for for everyone that <laughs> these fears we have, those are the dangerous ones. We can talk about fears, and we can talk about risk, and the risk um, is us not trusting. I think.
0: Mm. Yeah. How has your perspective through the years before doing the trip and after changed? Um, I think,
1: I think uh, I'm think i still... Because I got to live three years of my life very much here and now. To not think about plans for next week or next year or next 10 years, is, it's been here. And it's been this moment, and yeah. I think uh, in Western society, this is this is rarely something we get to do. People work extremely hard uh, to earn enough money to be able to pay for these really expensive two-week silent retreats on the Bali, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you actually get to spend <laughs> time true. in the moment <laughs> instead of just being in the moment, right? Yeah. So we take these huge detours to to get that sense of of here and now and I've I was very lucky to to be put or put myself in a situation where I just got it for free. And uh, it's a it's a challenge coming home and trying to keep that mindset. Uh, but I think I think I'm never really gonna be able to fall back into to fully fall back into what that like um uh, that rat race wheels turning and um, so I I think I feel like my life is moving slower I think my mind is slower and life is slower and and I really enjoy
0: it yeah it's great so you spend how long did it take for you to cross Australia was it three months Uh, yeah uh, my visa for
1: Australia was three months Uh, so I flew to New Zealand on my the last day of my visa. So I, I flew into Darwin uh, from Singapore and... I know I knew there was this Stuart Highway crossing crossing the outback from north to south and I'd always dreamt of of crossing it and then coming there I already realized well you don't really have to go on that main road just straight through the outback there are actually these winding dusty tracks old gold mining routes um, you can sort of crisscross through all of these different deserts, and I chose to do, do that. So I had uh, six hundred kilometers. No, sorry, six thousand kilometers. Uh, throughout Australia, mostly outback for these months, and and that really those those weeks, months, uh, just with the stories, guys, of the outback are are some of the the best ones I've had in my life still it's very cool and then you did
0: New Zealand as well after that
1: yeah uh, three months also for New Zealand which is always too short and yeah it's it's still it's weird and I think we're a lot of people saying the same thing but I had I had probably been on the road for about a year and a half when I came to New Zealand and I'm finally, literally as far away from home as i possibly can be on a uh, on a world map and it felt like coming home uh, which was so strange and yeah i really i really really enjoyed those three months i started off I, I flew into auckland and actually hitchhiked with my bike all the way up to the northern tip of of the north island to cape Reinga. Uh, yeah just to be able to ride the whole thing because uh, you want to start on an edge right <laughs> it's always like that yeah <laughs> and yeah I, I just slowly made my way south um and fell completely in love with the South Island especially. And just it's 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 the same thing there. We just talked about it's a slower pace of life somehow, um, on the countryside, especially in, in New Zealand, I think. And people have time to to see each other and to um yeah, to enjoy the moment and not just mm. prepare to have a great moment somewhere down the line. And, and I met a, like just so many good friends uh, throughout these three months and, and really somehow it became this weird uh, holiday from the holiday sort of thing. Uh, I was really, really <laughs> enjoying my, my time there. That's great. Mm.
0: Do you have a quote to you, Lubai?
1: Um... Oh, I don't think I do. Uh but I've when I was in China, uh I spent I spent this long evening with a Tibetan monk that who just he was his English was flawless. And he just kept giving me like life advice throughout the evening that was so funny and like (laughs) I I couldn't stop laughing but there was also like a lot of truth to it and at the time I was really worrying about uh, a military checkpoint that I was going to going to and hoping to be able to cross and so it was sort of like Uh, make or break my whole crossing of the Tibetan plateau. And I knew they didn't let foreigners pass. (laughs) And I was giving him the whole story and trying to come up with different solutions or different disguises on how I was going to get through these military checkpoints. And he was always like, no, that's a bad idea. It's probably not going to work out. But, and and I was really stressing out and I was nervous about it. And he just said to me like, well, Frederica, who cares? Just go there Uh, either Either it will be great or it will be a great story. <laughs> and <laughs> I've, I just, I've come back to those like few stupid words so many times when I'm trying to like, like trying to get myself into taking those really scary steps or going for something that probably is way over my head or whatever it's it's just a nice thought I think like who cares just go either it will be good great or it will be a great story (laughs) and you need a bit of both right
0: (laughs) I never heard that saying before so that's a new one it's great (laughs) I love it already (laughs) so how would you define success
1: Ooh, I think um, success would be um Doing what you want to do and not have done. Um, it's a whole thing of like we talked about before, uh, taking this, this bicycle journey as the example, like success will be doing it and not having done it. And, and, um, I think it's a, it's a good question to ask yourself from time to time to see like whether or not you're in the wrong right direction because you never know like we don't even know if we get tomorrow uh so success would be today and to have it today you have to do something you want to do and not have done and so i think that's a question i i tend to ask myself quite a lot these days do i want to do this or do i want to have done it
0: yeah how do you think we can empower more women to follow their dreams and make them reality and not really you know not be scared of the challenges or what society tells you not to do well for me i'm 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 really happy like do we're all now living in an age where
1: uh we can see each other in a way that hasn't been possible before so if everyone was sitting in their own village being told that women can't do this women can't do that there was nothing to question it and now you can say whatever you want about social media but we're we're spreading the word and in every imaginable part of society uh, women are crushing it and it's so amazing that we have access to to all of these stories and we can just like pick who cherry pick whoever inspires us and whoever empowers us um to be like that leading star for whatever you want to do like if you have a stupid idea like everyone around you uh, are obviously going to tell you you can't because that's just the way the world works stupidly enough and it's it's slowly picking up slowly people overall are realizing that's not true anymore or it never was Mm. Uh, but you can always whatever you want to do there's someone out there like already leading by example and just like and i think that's the whole point of of us now we're we're doing it and like things are, pick, speed is picking up and more and more. So when we're, we're like just joining each other and trying to like keep lifting each other's up. Cause it's, it's like this, it's just a snowball rolling already. And, uh, it's, everything is impossible before someone does it. And we're all doing all of these things now. Uh, so it's just like, um, it's finally the time where you can just tag along and uh that's it's just so amazing to see
0: it is and um, i think we're living in a quite an inspiring time to be honest you can you can find inspiration and motivation you know from everywhere and it's so accessible compared to how it used to be
1: yeah yeah and yeah, that's the whole thing i think we we have access to it now and yeah. we shouldn't be afraid to to reach out uh I knew I, I had my my role models before setting out, and uh, I know it's it's just an honor like being able to be that person for some some other people now, and it's just like it's this whole like pay forward thing that's working wonders, and and there's no limit really.
0: That's true. So, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Uh, try. Either will be great, or it will be a great story. <laughs>
0: So, if someone would like to do similar adventure, maybe not go off for four thousand a thousand day, or maybe they want to, but um, what would you tell them? What advice would you give? Um,
1: I think my advice would be like somehow we need to to get ideas out of our heads. Or like turn it real somehow. And for me, for this trip, that was was stupidly enough, I think, that my trip became reality once I printed a world map, drew a line, and just showed it to my parents. You know, because this idea had been growing in my head for a year already, more probably. And it was just a dream and it was just an idea and a thought, (laughs) but then suddenly it was a world map with a line with a route put uh, with a magnet on the the um, uh, refrigerator in my parents kitchen and then it was real and it was a project and i started telling people about it i still didn't own a bike i had no idea how anything was going to work out but I i told people about it so it turned real and then that sort of pushed me into actually taking small steps and like, uh, figuring out what actions I had to do to, to get there. Um, so I think this whole, like, just get it out of the head and uh, make something physical, tell people about it. Like, uh, take one step, whatever, however small it is. Uh, just take it. Cause the first one is tiny. Like the, it doesn't take anything, just Telling someone about something, printing a world map, that's nothing. Uh, But still, that's sort of like that first grain uh,
0: starting point. Yes.
1: So I think that's massive. And then overall, when starting something big, the whole, the biggest, the biggest uh, challenge ever will be that thing with starting. So you can always like, don't overplan it because you will make plans and you'll make preparations and they're going to be the wrong ones. My, I can I can laugh so much at my preparation or my the stuff I did beforehand now today because it's you have no idea. Just whatever preparations you make, whatever you can like whatever um, small advantages you can give yourself beforehand are great. but I, I say for for a journey, for example, it's very it's very easy. You can just um, at least what I did I is that very early on. Before I had anything before, before I had the bike or before I had any idea of where I was going or how I was going to do it, I set my starting date. That was the first, the first piece that to the puzzle that was already there. So I had my starting date, the the International Women's Day, the 8th of March, 2015, I'm going to start and then whatever I have time to prepare before that date, that's great, whatever I don't, well too, too bad. I'm starting then I'm not going to start when I'm ready because you're never going to be ready. So pick a starting date and then whatever you have time to prepare, whatever you have the possibility to prepare until then, that's great. And then the rest you just have to deal with later. I think that's a good,
0: good one. You kind of learn as you go as well, I guess, especially if you're up for three years, it's yeah. It's it's the whole thing, like getting yourself into something
1: that you haven't done before. By default, you're going to have to learn as you go along you're never going to learn before you start totally
0: so what um what's your plan now what are you working on or what do you want to achieve uh well as
1: i told you i'm actually just packing up my bags to to head north cycling again it's been a year of of work and like just like a um being in the washing machine of of media and um like doing talks and doing books and all these things. And it's been, it's been a massive adventure, but now I need to just calm down and get myself into my, into my medium again, uh, which is being on the bike, being in nature. And so in a couple of weeks, um, um, uh, headed out for, for a few months of, of just riding and, um, hunting midnight sun, I guess. It's that time of the year. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. So for people that haven't followed you on this journey, but are curious about, um, or maybe want to see more photos about it, um, where can you do that?
1: I'm Fredrika Ek on basically every platform. Uh, so just Google Frederika Ek uh, bicycle or whatever. And on Instagram, Facebook, um, my blog, frederikaek.se dot se then. Uh, you'll find all the photos all the stories the fundraiser that's still running and uh, really just enter the world of of what life turns out to be when you're when you're living it on a bike and uh, so just give me a give me
0: a line and um, I'm happy to answer anything great awesome perfect that was all the questions I had thank you so much thank you for having me thanks thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod my name is Suzanne Axelson. if you enjoyed this podcast make sure to subscribe and please give it a 5 star rating you can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram it would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode so please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email in the next episode, we met up with Katherine Wilson, who has established herself as New Zealand premier footwear designer. Tag along to hear her journey on how she made her teenage dream of becoming a shoe designer a reality. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod.